We get to start a new series today. It's a series that I'm very, very excited about bringing to you, and I'm also very, very nervous about bringing this series to you. It's called PG, and that stands for Parental Guidance Suggested, and each week we will bring a title that will go with parenting, and the title we hope to steal from other movie titles that the titles somehow match with parenting. So today's title is The Parent Trap. Now, how could it be that I'm so excited to bring this to you, and at the same time nervous to bring that to you? That's just because... I'm a bundle of conflict. Um, seriously, I really am excited because the content is so great, but it's always a nerve-wracking thing for me to even think about presenting something along this line. Like, it sets me up to look like I'm an expert or something. I'm not a parenting expert, but I want us to be thinking about parenting because parenting is so, so very important. Now, I've been... Uh, in full-time ministry, 34 years. I used to be an expert at parenting. I was a professional. I mean, I used to be a youth pastor. I used to tell the parents what to do with their youth. That was before I had kids. (laughs) Seriously, I mean, I taught them, you know, it was like you watch parents interact with their kids and as a youth pastor, you go, man, that's terrible. And you want to tell them how to do it. And they were so glad when I had kids. (laughs) because then they could finally have it where I understand it's not as easy on the outside. It's always easier to parent somebody else's kids and see that kid and your interaction with them from a distance. You can act like an, an expert then. But boy, when you have your own child. That's a completely different deal. So that's one of the reasons I'm nervous, because you might think I'm an expert. Now, I do want you to know I've raised two children, and they live indoors. All right? And, and they have enough income to do that. So, I mean, if that's, if that's your measurement of success, then okay. But there's a whole lot more to parenting than sending them off on their own to where they're kind of succeeding at that level. There's more to it than that. And my life as a parent is filled with, well, I have two reels, the blooper reel and the highlight reel. And I have a feeling that um, you probably have those as well. Now, one of the reasons I'm really nervous to bring this series is <clears throat> I already know that a lot of you already, when you heard this, go, ah, oh. and you checked out. Now, hold on, hold on. You haven't even heard me yet, but you're thinking, oh, I'm not a parent, and this is not going to be for me, and you're already checking out. And the other reason this is really hard is because the others of you are going, and I'm a parent, and I'm checking out. I already got this you know, or what can he say, or anything. And so the whole topic is a really tough one to bring to you. It's my challenge and privilege, and I'm looking forward to doing this, that whether you are a parent or not, oh, look at this little one. Wow, I remember those days. When we brought her home, we said, what have we done? Seriously. I mean, she wouldn't stop crying. And they didn't send us home with a manual. They seriously did not. And we didn't know, what have we done? We was like, okay, so we checked the diaper. Not the diaper. She's just been fed. She's not hungry. What is going on? She just cry and cry and cry and cry. So we went to the expert, the next door neighbor, who had four children. What do we do? Now, 
I almost wish we could, you know, time out, don't record this. But what, the next door neighbor said, try putting her on the stove. Now, I, I, hold on a second. Hear me out. <laughs> Not with the stove on. She wanted the exhaust fan on. She said, put her on the stove and turn the exhaust fan on. And so we were willing to try anything. So we put her in the little car seat that we brought her home in. We put her on the stove. We turned the exhaust fan on. And all of a sudden, she stopped crying. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought that that would work, you know? It wasn't in the manual that I didn't have. And she, she tried it with hers, and that worked. It was like, okay, fine. That only got us through the first week. Okay, so the parent trap. We're going to be looking at um, a couple of hard questions. And so let's begin here with some questions. What does it mean to be a good parent? I mean, does it mean, okay, you raise your kids. They're on their own. They have an income. They have a job. They actually live indoors. Okay, so, I mean, is that, the, is that what it means to be a good parent? Here's a couple of questions. Does it mean to be able to control your kid's behavior? Is that the definition of a good parent? Now, you can, you've got a kid that you have a say on their behavior. Does it mean to give them experiences that set them up for success? Is that what it means to be a great parent? Does it mean to build their confidence so they have a high self-esteem? Is that what it means to be a good parent? Now, don't answer this question, but which one of those do you think is more important? All right, without answering any questions, I'm here to tell you that all three of those questions are actually going to highlight a subtle trap that we're going to be discussing as it relates to that question. There are traps for us parents And so our focus today kind of leads to that. In our effort to be good parents, we are susceptible to some common traps. Now, um, I already kind of let you know the pre-parent common trap is that um, I kind of thought, well, you know, how hard can it be? I've got this. And I'm a youth pastor and I'm educated and um, I, observant, and besides that, I've been a kid. And so I've had some success because now I'm not a kid. And so what worked with me ought to be able to work again with my kid. And what didn't work with me, I'll, I'll just change that dial a little bit, and I won't do that stuff that I didn't like. So I've got this, okay? So we think that we have it all figured out. Now, Um, do you see the error in that logic? I was a kid, so I can be a good parent. Do you see the the error there in that logic? Okay, let me just change a little bit. We'll just make it a little bit more easy to see that error. I've had surgery before. (laughs) So I know what somebody who needs surgery needs. Hand me the scalpel. I've had an emergency appendectomy, and boy, that helped me. You have a bellyache? Give me the scalpel. You know, it's like, wait, wait, wait. We know that that logic doesn't work. There's a whole lot more to to doing surgery than I had surgery, and so I can do surgery, just like there's a whole lot more to raising a kid than I've been a kid, been raised, so I know how to do it. It doesn't work that way. There's a whole lot more to it. And so the other reason this thing makes me a little bit nervous is because I'm going to start to talk about some parenting techniques. Chances are pretty good. I'm going to talk about some techniques that you have used. So here's my recommendation to you. Pull your toes in. 
You didn't get that. Okay, so I'm about to step on some toes. So pull them in so it makes it harder for me to step on your toes. I'm going to just get us to be thinking. And that's the other thing that's hard about talking about parenting is it's so personal. We feel offended when somebody starts to pick on the stuff that we think works pretty well and that kind of thing, okay? So try to pull in your toes and just think along with me. I'm just going to be making some parental guidance suggestions. We are going to go to the Word of God, so we are going to go to some expert advice. Uh, that's going to come a little late today in this introductory uh, session. So um, as you feel offended, I, w- I just want you to be thinking through the logic behind the techniques that you use. So having said all of that, are you... Uh, okay, so even if you're not a parent, and even if you think you, have, you got this, I'm really hoping to bring stuff that everybody can use. Okay, grandpas, you can still use this. Parentless people that are never intending ever to have children, you'll have to use some interpretation to get a hold of these principles. There's going to be universal principles for you as well, okay? Uh, So don't tune out. See you again next week. Happy Mother's Day. And happy advanced Father's Day. This series will go from Mother's Day to Father's Day. Six sessions, all right? And I think it's going to be a really, really good series together. Point number one. Problem, we don't see the trap. Problem, we don't see the trap. As good parents, we are so susceptible to the hidden part of the stuff that we use that there's a trap if we keep using these techniques. And this trap kind of, we don't see it, And it's too late to adjust after 18 years of using this technique. Uh, Later on, we discover it's not going to work. So there's three traps we're going to talk about. I'm going to have you fill in all three of these blanks first. We'll talk about them one by one. Three traps we're going to talk about today. The control trap, the comparison trap, the every opportunity trap, and there are traps in these three areas. These are very, very common traps. Each parent needs to kind of look at these. So let's talk about the control trap first. We're going to talk about parenting power tools, okay? And that there's a hidden trap with some of these techniques or power tools. The first power tool I'm going to talk about is fear. Now, we are bigger than kids. And we have been given the authority over our kids. And so the temptation is to use our size and our position because I said so, and I'm dad. And a little intimidation and a little power, um, a little fear to bring about behavioral control. I want all of you to imagine something with me. Maybe it's, for some of you, it's really easy to imagine. For some of you, it's really hard to imagine. I want you to imagine with me, you're in Walmart. You're the mom or the dad. And you have a four-year-old. And your four-year-old just went into meltdown mode. They went over the top, totally unacceptable behavior, and you're in public. Okay? Imagine this scene. Somebody's imagining, and they don't have to imagine hard. I see the giggles taking place. So imagine the scene, and you're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do to gain control over this child? This child is completely out of control, and everybody's looking at me. What do I do? And so 
one of the power tools that you might use is the power tool called fear. And I've, I've seen it operate many different ways, and you have too. Maybe sometimes you've seen a parent's face and a child's face, and you've seen the bulging veins, large volume, red face, trying to put the fear of God into this child. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've seen this technique. I'm going to count. I'm going to count to three. One, two. Now, just, this, just that is, is, isn't that, the, th- the thought is, there's a hidden fearful threat there, right? Three. Okay. I'm going to count again. This time, it's, this time it's really louder. One, two. Maybe you've seen that. Okay. Now, what are we training our kids with this power tool? We're training them, you don't have to obey until you get to three. Or you don't have to obey until we get to three and then get louder. Or you don't have to obey until we get to three, get louder, then drag you out and actually do something about it. Whatever it is you're training, you're actually training something else. You know, first-time obedience is a different deal. And a little fear goes a long ways, right? But here's the danger of using fear as a control tactic. Let's say it works. So there is a fear. And as they get older and bigger, they're the same size as you. Or bigger, like in the case of my son. There comes a point in time where they're no longer afraid. Correct? All right? So fear as a tactic, here's what it doesn't address. You could control external behavior for a little while, but eventually they get bigger than you, and the fear goes away, and nothing has changed on the inside. You might control outside behavior, but nothing has changed on the inside, there's the control trap. There's the, a good parent controls outward behavior model. There's a trap there. If it's just outward behavior, they're just biding their time, right? But there's more to parenting than fear, right? Well, let's pick another one. Let's pick shame. Maybe you you are working up the skill to become the Southwest Southwest Regional Director, Distributor of Guilt. Why would, why, why would you do something like that? What were you thinking? Right? Aren't those like shame, guilt? Power tools, right? And what's coming out probably is uh, we were a little embarrassed and it was a reflection on us and so we deflect it and it's all about them, right? What is going on here? So we use those guilt, shame things. Same kind of deal. They might modify. You might get a little behavior modification, a little control working for you for a little while. Eventually, Though, if nothing is addressed on the inside and it's just behavioral uh, efforts on the outside, they get bigger and nothing changed. Okay, and then they're on their own. Guilt, shame, they just want to get far, far away from the Southwest distributor of guilt. Now you don't have much going for you, all right? Another area that is a power tool that we might use, we got the four-year-old, 
She's in a meltdown mode. He's in a meltdown mode. And you go, okay, okay, honey. Huh? If you will just sit up and stop crying, I'll get you an ice cream on our way out. Bribery. Rewards. Okay, now there's a place for positive reward and praise for right behavior, but let's just take this out to the trap extreme. Little Johnny is horrible to his little sister. The little sister is terrorized by Johnny frequently. The parents are constantly trying to figure out, what are we going to do with Johnny? Because she comes crying, screaming, Johnny this, Johnny done that, Johnny this. You just, you're at your wit's end. You can't figure out how to make Johnny treat little sister better. And then you're with this Johnny in the store, and Johnny says, oh, I can't believe there's that he names off this technical thing and points to it and says, oh, I want that so bad. And dad says, ding. What is it? Well, it's a remote control helicopter, and, da, 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 my, and Bobby has it. And then ding. And we go, Johnny, one month from today, if I don't hear anything from your little sister about you treating her poorly or terrorizing her one month from today, I will buy that helicopter for you. Okay? What are we teaching Johnny? Let's just say it's successful. One month later on the day, guess who remembers? Okay, Dad, you promised. You promised that you were going to buy me that remote control helicopter and now you, I mean, you got to follow through. You buy the remote control helicopter. Johnny remembered. And you're thinking, ding, success. 30 days of peace. And they actually like each other. Eh, 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 wrong. He takes a helicopter and he starts terrorizing her. Oh, Dad, it's catching my hair. You know, nothing changed on the inside. All you taught your child is how to do a cost-benefits analysis. <laughs> right? Look at it, evaluate. Okay, now if I just, for 30 days, for 30 days I treat her well, then I get this thing. Nothing changed on the inside. Now, again, same technique that we use to evaluate. It works with Johnny when he's 8 or 10. Pretty soon, this methodology is too expensive. Seriously, Dad, you want me to treat her well? I want a car. <laughs> right? I mean, you've trained the child to think in this, this way. He's always doing a cost-benefit analysis to get what he wants out of the situation. That's what you're training, right? So these are, these are the control traps, and there are others that we could enter into, you know, where we're, we're trying to control behavior. A real popular one is you're grounded for the rest of your life, right? It's just, you just figure out what it is that is leveraging, you know, and, and here's one that I hate. Sorry if I'm stepping on your toes. You can no longer go to youth group. And the, I, I get it. You're trying to leverage your parental authority to pick the one thing they don't like. Now, I was a youth pastor. That's why I didn't like it. Pick the one thing that they still like. They hate school. They hate the discipline at school. They like youth group. And I'm thinking, hey, that's your only hope right now of changing the inside. And you just grounded them from the thing that's going to change them on the inside. You know, so careful with the whole 
control traps. Point number two, the comparison trap. Well, we're still back on the three. Back, 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 back. The comparison trap. So here's where uh, I already mentioned that we have a blooper reel and we have a highlight reel. Uh, Our parenting events in our life, we have many, many on the blooper reel, reel, and we have many, many on the highlight reel, okay? And here's what is dangerous to do, and it's even more dangerous today than it's ever been before. We compare our blooper reel to our friends who are parents' highlight reel. And we start making adjustments to try to make our parenting look as good as their highlight reel. And we start adjusting. Now here's how it gets very dangerous as we make these comparisons. It's dangerous for our own psyche, but it's dangerous as it relates to the third area here, the every opportunity trap. Okay? Now, I have to be careful with all these because each one of these techniques perhaps has its place. And trying to give our child every opportunity has a great motive behind it. We want them to have the experience that will cause them to have the advantage to be able to succeed in life. And so, but here's when we're comparing, we have a child and they have lots of friends and they start comparing their life, their deprived life with their agricultural buddy who gets to raise a pig and their athlete buddy who gets to go on tournament soccer every weekend and their academic buddy who has a tutor and their arts buddy who has learned, or her arts buddy who has learned dance and gymnastics and painting and guitar lessons and piano. And now we're starting to compare everybody's highlight reel with our blooper reel. And the kids are doing it too. And you're thinking, oh, I got to have my kids succeed. So you start getting your kid in all these different areas to try to get them to succeed in life, to be able to make it because they got to be successful, their self-esteem, got to give them a skill. And that's true. I mean, and I was into making sure that they would acquire a skill and feel good about that skill. But at what comparison level, somebody else is going to have that skill times 10 because that's what they're doing all the time. And so on and so forth. This trap, here's the warning. Warning, warning. You can become experientially rich and relationally poor. Let that sink in. You start offering all these opportunities, and yes, the kid is gaining rich experiences. And some of these rich experiences, I highly recommend. For example, it was always my theory that if I raise my kids with adventure, why would they want to do drugs? And so, boy, I raised my kids with adventure. Appropriate adventure. You know, the first adventures were, let's do s'mores over a fire. You know, that's adventure. <gasps> Get a, oh, fire's dangerous. And adventure, you know, car camping. But then it, it just more and more and more adventure. Now, man, my son's wired for adventure. He, he loves doing stuff that I was like, oh, that's a little much. You know, we're, taking, we're doing the rock climbing, the ropes climbing, and now he, he's leading river rafting guide trips and all this kind of stuff. It's like, wow, who is this kid that likes all this stuff that scares me to death? You know, <laughs> give him adventure. But it worked. They don't want to do drugs. So there's a little bit of something to this, but we need to evaluate when we're starting to give him every opportunity that we can think of And now we're becoming relationally poor. 
We leave this skill up to that coach. We leave that skill up to this teacher. We leave this skill up to that tutor. We leave this skill up to them. And we're just driving them around. And, oh, of course, they got to learn how to work, too. And they're rich in experience, but we have lost our relational influence. We're bankrupt relationally with our own children. We live in this in our culture now more than ever. My parents didn't have the opportunities like we had when I was parent. And I have a feeling our kids will have even more opportunities while they're raising their kids than I raised my kids. And so I want to leverage this concept together. You can become experientially rich at an expense. I mean, seriously. You're going to both have to go to work. You've got to have all this kind of income to be able to do this and this and this and this for all your kids. You know, Johnny went to Europe. I've got to take Johnny to Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Experientially rich, relationally poor, and economically poor, and don't have enough time to do all this. Point number two, solution. Dial in relationally. Dial in relationally. Now, the next thing that I'm going to tell you is something that at first, as I say it, you go, yeah, that makes sense. And it's so self-evident that it's almost like goes without saying, but I'm going to build off of it, so I'm going to say it, okay? Three things shape your life. Are you ready? Experiences, choices, and relationships. The experiences that we have shape our lives. The choices that we make shape our lives. The relationships that we form shape our lives. And these shape our lives for good or for bad. That part we know, right? Makes sense? But what I want to do now is to show you that one of these shapes all of these. So we need to leverage one of these to shape all of these as it relates to shaping our children. Because our kids will be shaped by their experiences, they'll be shaped by their choices, good or bad, and they'll be shaped relationally. So we need to leverage relationship to affect all of these because we will choose experiences and we will make choices based on the relational influences in our life. Turn with me to Deuteronomy to get into this concept. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. If you do not have an easy-to-read English Bible of your own, I want to give one away to you today. Grab the Bible in front of you. You'll want to turn to page number... I've written it down because this is not the chair Bible. 126. 126. By the way, there's one other thing I forgot to say. The reason why this is so, 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 so very important to our church. No, let me put it this way. There's 983 reasons I want to give you as to why all of this stuff is so important to our church. 983 minor children have registered with our church in church events in just two years. These are separate, unique individuals. 484 of them in the last two years are 11 and under. This is huge, folks. Um, we have kids that come here only four or five times a year. But if you ask them, what church is your church? This is it. We have the possibility of transforming our community if we can just 
help parents parent. If we could help parents learn this, we could change our community and change the world. We need to influence the kids. And this tells us how. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. This is Moses teaching the people just before they're to go into the promised land how to be successful. And this is from God through Moses to the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's relationship. This relationship, if the parents will get a hold of this relationship, they can leverage their relationship with their, parent, with their kids in such a way that it changes everything. And then he gets into some detail. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. They're to be on the inside. Parents, it starts with you. Allow the principles and precepts from God to be on your hearts, to go on the, on the inside of who you are so that you have a relationship with God that's leveraged by these principles and commandments. Now, once it's inside of you, verse 7, impress them on your children. You're talking about from the inside out. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or in our setting when you drive. When you lie down and when you get up. These are built-in times in your family setting that you talk about this stuff. Talk about the stuff that has become central to your life that is starting on the inside of you and it's making you think about relationships and those relationships, how it affects you and how it'll affect them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Don't know what to do with that. Uh, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So even just make these principles part of your family's life. Do what you can to make them visual and helpful and things that will shape you and shape them. Here's what you're doing and here's why you're doing it. Three PG dials is what you're doing. These PG dials are parental guidance dials and they're dials to dial in relationships because those three experiences... Your experiences, your choices, your relationships, which shape a person, all three are dialed in by how you dial in relationship. Parents, the worst thing you can do is passive, let them choose their own relationship. Worst thing you can do is passive, let them decide for themselves whether God is real or not real. Worst thing you can do is decide whatever experience they want to decide. No, you dial in relationally on all of these areas. So, Here's the first question. What are you doing to enhance your child's relationship with you? If you're giving them every opportunity in the world to gain this skill and this experience and have this experience and that experience and you don't really know their heartbeat, what they're thinking, who their best friends are and, and what their values are because you're not dialed in relationally, what can you do to turn the relational dial to enhance your relationship with them because you've given them rich experiences but you're poor relationally. Enrich your experience relationally. What can you do to enrich your experience relationally? Because you're tuning in or tuning out or dialing up or dialing down your influence with your child. 
You can ratchet up your influence if you'll work at it. But you have to ratchet it up relationally, not with the power tools. The power tools actually end up ratcheting down your relationship. And then by the time they're 18, they're so ratcheted down, they're out of here. And you know what? You're good with that. And a lot of parents, they're going, we're doing a parenting series? I'm done. I was so done. They're on their own. And I'm, that's foreign to me. I'm not done. I am not done with my adult children. I am not done with my grandchildren. I want to ratchet up my influence till I die. Because honestly, I'd like it to be when I die, everybody cries. You know, I cried when I was born. I want them to cry when I'm gone. You know, rather than the other way around. You know, we're dying. Good riddance, right? But there's so much pain because we're not enhancing our relationship with our children, looking for ways and praying for ways. What can we do to invest, 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 serve, invest, invest? so that there's a joy in the relational connectivity with our children. Secondly, what are you doing to advance your child's relationship with God? Now, Deuteronomy has a great bit to say about this. Flip your outline over. Do that with a small group if your small group is doing those. Do that alone if your small group's not doing those. To start asking the question, what can I do to advance my child's relationship with God? So, when they're little, that bedtime is huge. When they're little, when you first get up, is huge. When they're little, every time you spend with them, coming, going, look for opportunities to inject conversation about the God that you know, the God that you love, the one that you are ex- experiencing awe. You're transferring down your awe of God and shaping them from the inside as you're talking about your awe of God. They're experiencing awe of God through your eyes. What are you doing to advance your child's relationship with God? Number three, what are you doing to influence your child's relationships with others? Okay, influence, leveraging relational influence. This is not control. This is leveraging relational influence. And you need to do this early and powerfully because later on it's probably too late. But even then you might risk it all. Johnny, you're spending too much time with the girl next door. because it may be do or die, you know? Where you are leveraging relationally. Now, how much relational connectivity you have with your son will determine whether that works or doesn't work when it comes time, okay? This is all introduction. Hope you enjoyed it. We're gonna go into a whole lot more, but we're gonna revisit these three questions Um, as we go through this series and look at it from a different angle and different passages of Scripture to see where we can leverage our relationships relationally to launch our kids as shifted from the inside and blossoming before God and we're just enjoying each other's company and relationship together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this series, for being so... uh, clear and specific and nitty-gritty with a lot of the teaching toward us as parents. God, there's so much to learn, even if there are people here who aren't parents. 
So much to learn about how relationships are not about control and how to gain influence and how to point people in your direction and so much there too. Lord, we pray that we would be able to grow in love with you so much that relationships are just oozing with grace and goodness and uh, influence that we might leverage relationships that blossom before you and grow before you and honor you. Pray this for our children, for us in our setting, whatever that might be. In Jesus' name, amen.